You are listening to Radio Free Signs of the Times, broadcasting to the world on the eve of destruction. We are doomed to extinction because of agriculture. We have raped and pillaged this planet. There is a, a disinformation program literally for everyone, no matter who you are and what, what your interests are, uh, what your beliefs are, uh, which, which way you're focusing. There is a website set up just for you to take you in and to vector your thinking and your attention into the way that they want you to think. Categories for things happening in the sky and the cosmos. If you read the scientific reports that come through and put the pieces together, you can see something big is happening. There is strong evidence that over the course of human history, repeated commentary bombardment from space has wiped the slate clean on our little planet. These cleansing events were naturally terrifying for people who lived through them. In time, the progenitors of those who survived rebuilt civilizations anew, and eventually the horrors of the past were forgotten. Increased fireball sightings in recent years, among other telltale signs, indicate that we have now entered another period of potential cosmic catastrophe. We are also living in a time when an endless war on terror is being waged, ostensibly to protect our freedoms and Western civilization from evildoers over there. The result has been a significant increase in real, actual, and felt terror that is evidenced in the form of social hysteria. Not a day goes by without news reports indicating that increasing hysteria has taken a hold of people. From mass panic in schools because fifth graders are caught playing with toy paper guns to fears that a zombie apocalypse is upon us. People are reacting in increasingly bizarre and paranoid ways. But what if the real threat has always been, well, out there rather than over there? Will our leaders and authorities be able to keep us safe from a cosmic threat? Do they even know about it? This week we'll be discussing the real purpose of protecting people by so-called fighting terror abroad or at home and whether or not the real source of our deepest fears have anything, anything to do with the threat from space that our leaders would rather keep under wraps. Hi, I'm Neil Bradley. Tonight uh, I'm joined by Joe Quinn. Hi. And we're very lucky to have Laura Nijajic with us and Jason Martin. Welcome, guys. Hi, hi, hi. As Neil just mentioned, this uh, this week's show is going to deal with a few different topics. Um, but before we get into the topics for this week's show, we're going to um, deal a little bit with the topics that we should have talked about last week, but were unable to, um, because we had, quote-unquote, technical difficulties. We don't exactly know the source of them, but we had technical difficulties and we couldn't uh, couldn't broadcast last week. So uh, last week's show was basically about the hystericization or the hysterical nature of 
society in general, but perhaps uh, in particular American society. And on that topic, over the past few weeks, we've seen most notably in schools and <clears throat> pertaining to school children a lot of hysteria. Uh, and it seems that this kind of this hysteria is the product of, or is directly related to, um, the Sandy Hook massacre of December 14, 2012, just a couple of months ago. Um, yeah, let me interrupt here. I have in front of me uh, two or three little articles that came out last week, and this was all prior to the recent uh, um, meteor explosion in Russia. So it was, uh, you know, people were already in something of a state. So let me let me share some of this with you. Here we've got uh, one item called "Kids with Toy Guns." It's from the Blaze, and it was 24 January 2013. A Philadelphia fifth grader said she was scolded by a school administrator and even searched in front of her entire class, all because she pulled out a paper gun. Melody Valentin's father, her grandfather, had made her the gun the day before. The gun was actually a square piece of paper with a corner torn out of it to make it L-shaped. She stuck it in her pocket and forgot about it. When she went to throw it in a trash can in class, another student spotted it and called her out. A school administrator was summoned. She was reprimanded for having the piece of paper. She said, he yelled at me and said, I shouldn't have brought the gun to school, and I kept telling him, it's a paper gun, but he wouldn't listen. The administrator then threatened to have her arrested while other students called her a murderer. Wow. Wow. It's not a gun, it's a paper gun. Well, that's not even a gun, it's actually just a piece of paper. Yeah, I actually it's saw it a really, It can't even be described as a gun. Literally of any a piece of paper. Well, that's not all. Just hang on. A few days later, a five-year-old boy in Massachusetts may be suspended after he built a toy gun out of Legos during an after-school program. His parents received a letter that said the boy has received his first written warning for using toys inappropriately and that upon a second warning... He will be suspended from the program for two weeks. This is a five-year-old boy, for God's sake. On the third warning, he's going to be sent to Gitmo. Oh, <laughs> Okay, same day. A Bronx school building was temporarily locked down after a 12-year-old boy was overheard talking to a classmate about his toy gun, a bright-colored Nerf gun that shoots harmless foam darts. Hang on a minute. A, a, a young boy talking about a toy gun. There's something wrong there. He was kids overheard do talking to a classmate. No, they don't. It's totally inappropriate. I, I mean, think we need to take these kids out and execute them immediately. And that is the only solution to this problem. <laughs> There's um, Jason. Thank you for the conservative stance there. <laughs> school so, officials were notified, and afterwards, <clears throat> the school principal immediately called for a total freaking lockdown of the school. He then broadcast a pre-established code word over the campus PA system telling, let me turn the page here, everyone to hide. I was in the cafeteria eating, and then they gave out the secret code for an intruder in the building, said 10-year-old Kendall and Garner, 
whose mother prevented her from revealing the secret word. Oh, dear God. <laughs> everybody had to go into the table, and everybody had to make a plan for what we had to do if the intruder came into the cafe. I mean, come on, people. What is happening here? These are adult people who are freaking terrifying little children. They are, they are deliberately and intentionally traumatizing their psyche. But they're, they're terrified themselves, the yeah. adults. Are they really terrified themselves? Oh, they're hysterical. If they are that terrified, they have no business being in authoritative but, positions in a school system. Well, of course, yeah, but how many, how many of these stories have there been over the past few weeks? I, I counted eight or nine. Eight or nine, yeah. Within the space of a week. Yeah, well, well there was one actually just from a few days ago, but it hasn't, it hasn't well, finished I, yet, you know? Well, I read one, right? And this is the crazy thing, right? I read one of these stories. I don't remember which one it was. But here was what happened. So they had, like, called the police, and the police had come, right? And, yeah. And uh, uh, a reporter was uh, um, interviewing the poli- a police representative, right? And she was quoted as saying, we take these problems very seriously. If there's a report of a gun in a school, we want to go and investigate whether or not it's a real gun or a toy gun and whether or not that deserves to be punished or something like that, right? As mm-hmm. if, like, having a toy gun... I mean, it doesn't matter what you do with a toy gun. It's a toy gun, you know? I mean, in the yeah. end, that's kind of the end of it. It's a toy, you know? I mean, if, it doesn't matter if the kid has it in his belt and is waving it around. I mean, you can punish him within the rules of the school by saying, hey, you can't be, you know, flagging around your toys like that. That's okay. But the police have no, nothing to say whatsoever. It doesn't matter if the kid took the toy gun out, pointed at someone, said, I'm going to kill you. That's not a police matter. That's totally a school matter, and the school should say, "Okay, well, you're not allowed to do that. That's okay." Yeah. But the police but, have no say in it. Well, listen, but it's, it's, go ahead. listen to what this little girl is saying. She said, "Me and my best <coughs> friend, we were just thinking, what would our parents do if we got killed?" Perry Frazier, who was in fifth grade, was eating breakfast when he heard the code word and knew to hide because he and his classmates had practiced. But this wasn't a drill. Perry said. Everybody was hiding under the table. All the girls were crying. Our teacher was scared. Jacqueline Williams, whose two children attend the school, received a panicked phone call from her nine-year-old daughter after she wasn't allowed into the facility. She called home and said the school was locked down. Nobody knew what was happening. I got worried. Well, surprise, surprise. She got worried. Well, on the one hand, you can maybe understand this. As, as we just mentioned earlier on about with it coming on the heels of Sandy Hook and the school shootings and stuff, but this these are kids, these are these are small children at the school. It's not somebody coming into the school with a gun. But exactly. E- but even then, it's not just about guns because there was there was an, uh, an incident from the 14th of February just a few days ago, uh, and the report is titled "Student with Folding Shovel Prompts School Lockdown." A student carrying a folding military-style shovel prompted police action at Heritage Middle School Thursday. The school was put into lockdown around 9 a.m. That's when authorities received a report of an armed suspect in the school located at blah, blah, blah. Meridian police weren't initially sure what type of weapon the suspect was carrying. However, Deputy Chief Tracy blah, blah, blah says officers eventually located the male teen and determined the shovel was being used as a prop for class. After further investigation, police learned the shovel actually belonged to a teacher who had asked an 8th grade student to grab it from their car. 
The teacher planned to use it as part of a classroom discussion on World War II. And they locked the school down? The school was in lockdown for approximately two hours. Classes resumed after the lockdown, however, and concerned parents were allowed to pick up their children. They well, don't plan to charge the student with any crime, which is which is good. It's, 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 it's good of them. That's nice. But he, uh, district spokesman Eric Exlin said a student and a staff member saw a male teen walking down a school hallway. What I mean that right That's there, right there, you cause for suspicion. There's a kid in walking a down the okay, hallway with some, with something suspicious, and it was reported to the school's resource officer. He was told by some of the staff that they saw an individual jogging out of the school, then back into the school with what they told him was an axe. So it was, and it wasn't only that school was locked down as a result of that; it was other schools in the area all yeah, got the word to, to shut down. Like the school was miles away because some guy was, some teenager, a pupil at the school was carrying a folding shovel that belonged to a teacher. The teacher had told him to go and get from his car. He was carrying it in the school, and everybody in the school crapped themselves, called the police. The police locked. The police were there within seconds. Guns what's drawn. What's the point of having an RO at a school? If he's yeah, such yeah. a pussy that he runs and says, let's lock down the school, I mean, what's the point of even having a resource what, officer at the school? What, what is the point of having a principal if he, can't, if he can't make a judgment call on something like this toy gun <clears> rumor <throat> forcing lockdown at Bronx School and, and determine... But there is no cause for alarm. Why is this man in charge of children? Why is he traumatizing these children? Well, we know the answer. They want the children to be traumatized. Absolutely. The parents are supposed to be traumatized. Everybody is supposed to be excited and traumatized because guess what? That makes him easily programmable and controllable. Absolutely. They... Um there's more of these stories. Here's the uh, Hello Kitty bubblegum comment lands a five-year-old in school suspension. Uh, five-year-old South Carolina girl is expelled from school. A five-year-old, five-year-old, expelled from school for bringing plastic toy gun to class. She is such a threat that the district official sent a letter January 15th warning her parents that if she's caught on school grounds, She'll be subjected to criminal charges of trespassing. And the mother says, she cannot even be in my vehicle when I go to pick up my other children. This woman has a five-year-old child that is being treated in this manner. Is that sane? No. America has gone freaking insane. They have turned into freaking halfwits. Absolutely. And I suppose... Now would be a good time just to remind our listeners that uh, you can call in if you have any stories of this nature or of a similar nature. Uh, the guest call-in number is a U.S. number. So from the U.S. it's 718-508-9499, uh, before that for people outside of the U.S. Yes. Uh, wait, wait. This is even the best one. We've had a paper gun. We've had a plastic gun. We've had a discussion of a gun. A shovel. A shovel, and now we have an imaginary weapon. A seven-year-old student says he's confused about getting in trouble for trying to save the world from evil, though Thompson School District officials contend that the boy broke one of the school's absolutes. Parent Mandy Watkins said Mary Blair, principal Valerie Laura Black, called her Friday afternoon to inform her that her second-grade son, Alex, had been suspended for throwing 
an imaginary grenade. Uh, the no, kid, they're dangerous. The kid, the kid, I mean, that's like being threatened by an air guitar, for God's sake. Yeah. Well, that Alex, quite that the name. devil's music. He was playing the air guitar. Alex oh. did not have anything in his hand at the time and made no threats towards other people. He did, help. He had, a, he had an imaginary grenade in his hand at the time. He was going to save the earth this way, and when he threw the grenade, he pretended that the box exploded in apparent success. That's he was very confused, confused, Watkins told the reporter. I'm confused as well, so it makes it hard for me to enforce these rules when I don't even understand them. The rules are laid out by Mary Blair Elementary School in a list of absolutes that are posted on the school's website and are aimed at making Mary Blair a safe environment. Let me tell you what. Environments that they are making this way are not safe. These are traumatizing environments for your children. If this is going on in a school where your child is attending, I would get other parents together and I would be complaining like crazy about the trauma that they are inflicting on children. Because if it hasn't happened to your child yet, believe me, tomorrow, the next day, next week, it will. Because children are children. And they're trying to tell, turn these children into little zombie robots. Well, what's worse is they're treating almost like adults. The very idea that there can be a criminal trespass warrant against a five-year-old is just sort of insulting to any kind of like adult intellect. Because the idea that, that a five-year-old child has a criminal trespass warrant saying... You cannot trespass on a school, right? It's just, it's mind-boggling. It's like five years old, you know? I mean, you can't trespass on your own school. On your own school. And if, if you, and if you don't... You're a criminal if you do. <clears throat> and I mean, what kind of criminal charges are they going to... What are they going to send this, this this child up to, like, Rahway State or some sort of penitentiary? With, you know, I mean, come on, what are they going to do? Well, they did. I think there was another story where they took someone to a juvenile detention center, a prison, basically. Yeah. Um, I don't have that one here. No, let me have a look. They booked him, as in, you know, they formally sort of charged him and kept him there until his parents came to pick him up. Um, I was, that to me just said, well, at that point, no, there were no adults at any point in in, in the process that said, hang on a second. This is not. They went the whole way through with it, formally charged him until his parents had picked him up. So he spent two hours in, in prison. Yeah. I think it was the kid who didn't even have, it was another imaginary weapon case where he put his hand up in a kind of gun shape. Yeah. And pretended to pull the trigger. Yeah. I think it was that story. Threatening behavior yeah. for a kid. Well, the thing, the thing that scares me is, is not, I'm not, I'm not remotely scared of some person with a gun walking into a school or into any building that I'm in. Like, I'm never thinking, what scares me is that I might actually be run into one of these people and be in some way under their power. I mean, someone who's that stupid, who's that just completely and totally disconnected from reality, they could do anything. Like, I could look at them the wrong way, and then they could, oh, my God, he tried to kill me. They could, like, call the police and stuff, maybe. You know, you don't know. I mean, you just, that kind of crazy person. Yeah. Well, but the thing them. is, it's been building well, up for years, this, well, this policy of if you see something, you say, know, something. say something. Yeah, but, I mean, particularly these schools and kids and schools and stuff, like, like I was saying earlier on, is seems to be a direct result of the Sandy Hook thing. Mm-hmm. And based on what we said in our first show about Sandy Hook, uh, this is by design. There's yes. some, there seems to be that there's some specific agenda by someone being being put in, into play here. Um, and, I mean, you look at the end result and you're basically, you're talking about people people being in a state of, of, of terror or, or being able to, being, being on the edge of 
uh, be falling into a state of terror at a, at a, at a yeah. moment's Drop notice type of thing. Yeah, yeah. basically. But, you know, this is, this is something that goes back to, uh, we have an article uh, on SOT that I put together, and it's uh, some research that was done by a guy named Sargent, and he um, he did some research on Ivan Pavlov's experiments in mm. uh, programming or conditioning dogs. Uh-huh. And what they learned was was that you put a dog into a state of absolute abject terror, and even if they had a strong program to do one thing before, you could completely eradicate it and change it and imprint the program that you want into the dog. And not only that, but a program that is imprinted into a dog when they are in this state of what they call transmarginal inhibition, you can't erase it. It's very, very difficult to get rid of it. Uh, it's like it, it like becomes a permanent part of that person, which is why uh, you know people suffering from post traumatic stress disorder they get into a a situation where they're extremely traumatized. Something is said to them during that moment of trauma, and forever afterwards, you know something about you know about the thing that is programmed into them you know, forever brings back the feeling of being traumatized. Mm-hmm. It's like being in an automobile accident. You know, you see a guy crossing the road at the moment the accident happens and he's got on a blue hat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may forget that there was a guy crossing the road wearing a blue hat afterwards, but you've got this trauma buried deep inside you. And, you know, one day you may be walking down the street and somebody uh, wearing a blue hat uh, passes in front of you and you go into a state of trauma. You have an anxiety attack. You you collapse on the sidewalk, the, the EMTs, you know, come and, and take you away, whatever. Uh, and you don't even realize that what is happening to you is because of this trauma that was that happened and the imprinting of the uh, of the man with the blue hat. So yeah. the same thing can happen with words, ideas. This is what happened during 9-11. All of this really began during 9-11. 9-11 was the big imprinting event of our... Absolutely, uh, and we're going to get into that in the show but we've got a call right now so I'm just going to take it hello uh, hello yeah hello caller you're yeah on the air what's your name my name's Joe hey Joe I'm thinking hey, Joe, where are you from from Montana Montana what, what's your comment or question I'm taking a look at your description page and it seems to me as though you're kind of worried about cosmic events or uh, aliens. In my Not aliens, right? No. Not aliens, no. No, no mention of aliens. Not aliens, just a cosmic type of thing like meteorites. More like big, more like big rocks falling on our heads. Oh, okay. Like, you know, like the one that just fell in Russia. All right, and you're kind of worried that there might be more of them coming in the future. We're not worried at all. We're not worried. We just want to let people know that it's something. That there is a real good probability that it's going to happen and it's going to hurt a lot of people and you know, but we're not worried, no. Yeah, it's more but just people being being you know, making people aware of, of oh, okay. the possibility so you, of that, you know. Do you so, believe that there probably will be more meteorites and um asteroids hitting I mean, the earth, but it's not something that worries you. No, not really, no. I mean no, why yeah, would every, I Everybody's got everybody. can't do anything about it if it happens. If it doesn't happen, it's great. Yeah. If it does, but I, you know, we're ready. Y'all gotta die someday, you know. Oh, okay. And let me ask you a question, though, bro. Um, how many of these, these? Okay, let's just pretend that they exist. Okay, 
How many of these do you think that there are? I mean, how many like occurrences do you think that there are? I have no idea. Is no idea. So, how many? Well, since 2005, there's been about a fourfold increase. This is the American Meteor Society. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, catalogs them and uh, it, it produces them on the website. The numbers and from 2005, 2005 there was something about like about 400 or something worldwide. And mm-hmm. uh, last year there was 2,200 or something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's quite a large. So it's about increase. a four or five fold increase over year on year. So let uh, me ask you, bro. Do you think that that's enough to be worried about? I mean, no, two thousand no. years. Is, no, because you know, what you're doing, you're taking a look at um, a certain trend, and you're assuming that the trend's going to continue. That's the same kind of reasoning people have when they take a look at the stock market. They say what goes up uh, is going to continue to go up uh, a lot until it comes down for some reason. Um, well, right, 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 right. something has happened in the past. Um, there's no correlation between that and what might happen in the future, unless you have a cause and effect uh, Okay, let me situation. explain this to you. There are several uh, astronomers and astrophysicists that have been working on this problem since the 80s. Uh, they mathematically uh, retro-engineered the, uh, uh, the orbits of multiple meteor streams um, and concluded that they all began from the single progenitor giant comet. Uh, they've done the math, and they predicted back in the 80s that right around this period of time, like uh, for the past five, five, ten years and heading forward, that we are in an extremely dangerous period because we have moved into an area of space that is just loaded with debris from the breakup of this giant comet. Uh, there has been an extraordinary increase in the number and location of what's called noxalucent clouds. Noxalucent clouds are formed in the extreme upper atmosphere uh, because of comet dust in the atmosphere. Uh, there's been, you know, an extraordinary uh, lowering of the upper level of cold atmosphere. There's been a quietening of the sun. There have been uh, multiple things that indicate that these astronomers were correct and that we are very possibly facing ourselves a Shoemaker-Levy-type event on this Earth. That's the one that hits uh, Jupiter. Mm -hmm. So, you know, basically we work with the science and we publish the science. But even from from a kind of layman's perspective, like I just said, it has been increasing year on year in 2005 and quite a few, uh, you know, a large number basically. And this year just a few days ago was really the first major uh, impact event. It was the first big one that actually... So so even based on that kind of like reasoning, we're saying, well, it seems to be building up here to something, and then we get this one that hits over Russia, and we say, well, chances are, or at least there's a, there's a decent probability, maybe 50-50, that we're going to get more, you know? And there have been impacts... Now, the layman's, the layman's explanation here. doesn't hold water. The one about, well, if, if, you're, if you're going to go back to the astronomers having trace back the um, the past of the meteors that makes more sense yeah well I, I would I would really urge you guys and I love you I love Montana um, I would really urge you to read my new book and you can get it really cheap on Kindle you know, so that I'm not really making any money because Amazon makes money on that but read it because I have collected the science together in that book 
and I have footnoted it up in Ying Yang, so if you want to follow anything up, you've got the sources right there at your fingertips. And believe me, the picture isn't pretty. It's uh, these, these guys, um, Victor Klub, Bill Napier, uh, Mark Bailey, Mike Bailey, uh, dendrochronologist, and there's several others that I, you know, I can't pull their names right off, off the top of my head right at the moment. They've been working on this for a very long time. They've, uh, you know, basically, and what they're saying is, is it's not so much, you know, impact events that would be like, say, an asteroid hitting the ground and making a big, gigantic crater that is the danger. And even John Lewis uh, of, of the University of Arizona uh, says that the big danger to humanity is overhead explosions, you know, bodies that enter the atmosphere, they heat up so fast, and then they explode in the upper atmosphere and they ablate the landscape, you know, mm-hmm. like having a, an, an atomic explosion in the air. Mm-hmm. And um, they can cause, you know, kind of like the uh, Tunguska event. So these things are, you know, what we're concerned about. They're obviously not world-ending events. They're obviously localized, as you've just seen. But if you had 50 or 60 of these, and if one of them just possibly happened to happen in a big way over a major city uh, and also put all of the dust products into the atmosphere, which would affect the climate, you know, we're looking at something that could really, really harm our civilization uh, in a very serious way. Mm-hmm. It's not the end of the world, though. That's why I say, you know, we're not worried about it. If we happen to be in the spot where one of them blows up over our heads and we all get ablated, okay, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to go out that way. But otherwise, it's going to happen here or there and here and there. And lots of people have the opportunity to survive and to know what's going on. Okay. It's not, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. All right. And you've submitted your findings to a peer review journal? Well, a lot. I've written books about it. And, <laughs> and, and well, okay. You're right. You've gotten a okay, book. My well, question well, is, have you submitted your findings to any type of peer review journal? This is something which is scientific. Well, a lot of a lot of information in the book draws from peer review. I use the peer, information peer from peer reviewed journals. Yeah. I am a writer. Yeah. I am not the, the scientist. I am the synthesizer. But I will tell you, I got an email from Mike Bailey this morning. He says, "Boy, does this look interesting. You've covered a lot of ground." Yeah. The name. Yeah, of, I mean, the, the, thing the, is, the name of the book is uh, "Comets and the Horns of Moses." Just in case you're interested, but we're gonna we're gonna let you go and 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 thanks for the call. Um, we're gonna take another call here, okay? Okay. Thanks very Thank much. Thank you. All right, we're going to another call here. Maybe. No, it dropped off. I think when we leave people on hold too long, they Hello? they get uh, it, they get bored. Off? I don't know. They, they get, get bored. bored. Yeah. <laughs> they get bored. Call. Maybe they call back. Anyway, yeah, I mean... Well, that's, that's a completely understandable point. I mean, this is new to a lot of people. So, uh, it shouldn't be new to a lot of people because be. we've been writing about it, publishing about it for the last, what, 13 uh, years? I do have a... We got someone here? No. No. That sounded like someone here too. Anyway. Yeah, we've been hanging on about the subject for so long, but... Who else has? Yeah, well, nobody else has been, and and it's it's now an event like uh, that happened in Russia, happened, and people recorded, and you have video and stuff, and it goes worldwide. That we can kind of say, 
you know, we've been talking about this for 10 years and nobody's been listening. Now, and we knew that was going to happen, but hang on, there's another call here. Hello? Hi. Hello, caller, what's your name? Timothy. Hi, hey. Timothy, where are you from? I'm from North Carolina. North Carolina. Yay, North Carolina! Carolina. <laughs> we like North Carolina. We like North Carolina. Welcome to the show, Timothy. Yeah. What's your question or comment? Yeah, I had a question about the um, uh, impact, the speed of uh, Earth. You know, uh, Earth travels through space at uh, over 65,000 miles per hour. Uh, yep. Right? Yep. Yep. Close enough. When you look at the trajectory of some of these meteors and asteroids that come into our atmosphere, it's kind of strange the clocking that's done on those or, you know, anywhere between 12 and 17,000 miles per hour. I guess my question is, I've been led to look at gravity, but when you have a body like Earth and the moon moving at 65,000 miles an hour through space, it's just kind of strange to see something traveling at 17,000 miles an hour catch it and hit it, strike it. It's not like a collision. Well, I think that uh, what happens is is that the Earth passes through these streams of debris. And I think that what's really more amazing is that more of them don't actually actually hit, and I guess that that's probably because in their particular orbits, the uh, meteorites or the meteor orbits, uh, the meteor streams, I think that they have clumps, you know, like they have long stretches, like a big ribbon, you know, at a right angle to the uh, to the Earth's uh, orbit, and, you know, they're clumps of, of things in them, and, and they don't always intersect with, with the big clump uh, with the Earth when it's passing through that particular point. Um, I was reading about this uh, this Russian thing, and they were saying that it was coming coming from the direction of the sun. Wasn't wasn't that what they said? Mm. That's, yeah, hence they couldn't track it because they were blindsided by it. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, and and so so there there's some really strange things about all of us that we we'd really like to know. And I've got some queries out to some of the experts, uh, and, and hopefully they're going to you know give me some answers so that it can go into the next book or we can get it into an article. Uh, fortunately, we do have, um, you know, uh, some experts on our team, and we have, you know, people who do publish in peer-reviewed journals uh, who can give us information. But, yeah, I, I see your point. Right. It's got a 17-minute window to hit, you know, before the Earth is gone from that spot. Yeah, you would you would imagine like a missile coming through the sky trying to shoot it down with a twenty two. It's uh, nearly yeah. impossible because of the um uh, just the, the, the sheer magnitude of speed in which science seems to clock Earth in a three hundred and sixty five day um route. Now, let's say that at ninety three thousand miles away the sun being let's say that it travels around let's say it travels around the earth in twenty four hours. If if you did that kind of math, you could see where that would grow a scientist's mind. What's other words, traveling around the Earth? As, as, excuse me? What's traveling around the Earth? This, no, and instead of imagining our solar system as the sun being the center, in other words, you would imagine the Earth being the center and the sun traveling around Earth in 24 hours. What would what would the speed of that, um, that be? And then when you start to... If you look at history and the times of these discoveries of how 
our orbits and the and the planets and the uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs and, and et cetera, et cetera. You just come away with a you know a, a much mightier and more um, uh, quantum uh, physics type of uh, uh, reality as as far as space is concerned. But it just it doesn't make any sense, you know. If you look at something 65,000 miles an hour, and then a meteor hits you at 17,000 miles an hour, it just makes you stop and wonder about science's uh, <coughs> mathematics. I, you know, I see there's, what you're saying. It's, yeah. there, there's some mysterious thing going on there. There's a, an attractor, wouldn't you say? Well, <laughs> if you got something moving at 65,000 miles an hour through space, and you have uh, these SHO and these telescopes up here from NASA. I, and they would, can't see it. You would assume that the Earth, um, you know, by way of their trajectory, they're 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 all looking at the sun, really, at different perspectives of space around it, and uh, feed us data. You know, one thing that blows my mind is that the comet Lovejoy was uh, discovered by a man in Australia, and NASA has a hundred trillion dollars worth of uh, imagery Absolutely. equipment. Absolutely. It's just yeah. that, you know, one thing you got to remember is, is that space is big. It's big and well, it's for little rocks. Huge. Yeah, well, there's also a lot of things that NASA doesn't tell us. Exactly. They have they have classified all information well, about incoming space rocks. Exactly. Yeah, now, now, everything we get from NASA says they, they confirms uh, Comet Lovejoy, and then they show you footage of Comet Lovejoy uh, heading towards the sun. Now, when you see that. And you see that it has the name Comet Lovejoy. It makes one wonder how it doesn't have something like DA14 stamped on it. You know, it seems like it would have been a NASA number because of its sheer size uh, 400 years ago. <laughs> Just watching something like that come towards the sun seems to be very. There is nothing that makes sense with coming out of NASA. It doesn't. It does. None of it does. You have when, to. You have to work from the idea that. All of those established authorities have some sort of ulterior motive that they have some sort of agenda to prevent you from having any kind of information about that type of stuff on the right. grounds that like you know uh, Laura was saying a minute ago is that there's really nothing you can do about a giant rock heading towards you you know it's sort of like the Armageddon problem we can't just shoot missiles at it type of thing you know right. have a laser. you can't do anything about it and no and no government wants to say um shit's going to happen and we can't do anything to protect you and people are going to be like then why are we giving you all this money and listening to you you know i mean so they don't want that so nasa has a vested interest in, in preventing any person from having access to information that would scare them or make them call into the question the authority uh, the established authorities so i mean you know i mean those are some great points dude absolutely yeah, and thanks have, for calling I've, Oh, you're welcome. I, I would love to uh, uh, have hundreds of other questions of all the other mathematics yeah. and all that. Just, uh, no well, the, the mathematician is not with us tonight. He's <clears throat> upstairs working. You should uh, right. you should go to Amazon.com and look. Um, <clears throat> go to where? For comet, go to Amazon.com and look for Comets in the Horns of Moses. You can get it as a Kindle book. If you don't have a Kindle, you just sort of download the little reader. You can read it on your computer. Or you can buy a hard copy. Or you can buy the hard copy. It's now. not too expensive. Um, there'll be a lot of stuff in there. I think that'll interest yeah. you if you're interested in this in this topic. You know. Right. Well, see, I'm, right now when you, when I'm reading the books that are available from, you know, uh, I will say around Christ's era, maybe a little before that have uh, you know when you look at Aristotle and those guys, and you do all you follow their work, then what well, they're basing all their studies and work on seems to be 
um, some kind of face that was prior to their um, ability to start researching it. Well, Timothy, you got to read this book then. Because yeah, yeah. And you brought our, up Aristotle. Yeah. All of the philosophers are in there and, and what was going on around that time and, and what they, they were, were saying yeah, and why yeah. they were saying it. And uh, it's why? Called, it's called Comets you, in the Horns of Moses. You know what the whole answer of it is, though? What, what, I, what, I, what I found the answer to it all is, is that, and this may blow your mind, but the King James Version of the Holy Bible it gives you a creation order that seems to put in a different perspective if you think about the way God wrote the creation in, being the sun being created on the fourth day. When you look at those And that's passages, why like, you're going to love comets and the horns of Moses. Just think, the horns of Moses. It's all about the stuff you're talking about. Get it and read it, please. Well, you guys ought to uh, mention uh, Joshua uh, chapter 10 and verse 12. Uh, when the sun stood still. Right. It didn't just sit still. He he knew where the sun was sitting still at and named it and the moon, where it would be positioned at on earth. So he, as he, Joshua knew where the sun was at at that time, he also knew where the moon was at on the other side of the planet. You see what I mean? Well, so of course. He, and that takes he, mathematical uh, calculation ability because, you know, to be able to calculate where the moon is going to be when it's not written, in view, you have to be able to do the that's math. Right. Written before Christ, that is the beauty of it. So you're, you're you're getting a history that seems to embrace every theory being chased after today, but all of them. In other words, if you're chasing a false mathematic, you'll always end up with some kind of magical-looking thing. But that's it's not all really, the stuff that we've got in this book, and this, you know, that's why I say, go out and get the book. We got another caller coming in, so thanks okay. for calling. You guys have a great day. Uh, and you, you too, too Timothy. And you too, rah, rah, North Carolina. Awesome. All right, Tim. see ya. Good evening. Good afternoon, actually. It, it is mind-boggling. Right, wait, hold on. You, get, hold on. you, you lost it. You lost the caller. we got to stop letting the callers run. <laughs> Sorry, Tim. <laughs> People run too <laughs> long, and then somebody else gets stopped. So. Okay, hang on. Here's caller's back. Okay. This is a caller show. Yeah. It must, hi, caller. What's your name, and where are you from? Hi, it's Lynn. I'm calling from Canada. Hey, hey, Lynn. Welcome. Is it cold in Canada right now? We like Canada. We love Canada. No, we don't. Yeah, we do. Jason. Oh, Dave. Lynn. Oh, so yes, we do. Lynn. Yes, we do. Okay, Lynn. Sorry. And what's your what's your question or comment? Uh, well, it's more a comment. Uh, first of all, I want to say I've already got my com my copy of Horns of Moses. It's completely fantastic. Everybody should read that book, and I really want to thank Laura for making that information available. Well, thank you, Lynn. That's very sweet. I, I I personally do think it's packed with information, which was my intention. And I hope I made it entertaining and readable for just everybody. Oh, it is. It is. It was just, just delightful to run through it. Uh, my comment actually has to go back more to the whole paranoia thing you started out with. This is minor, uh -huh. yeah. but it's pretty typical of what's going on in the States. I wanted to order a product that I had to send a money order in for and because uh, it wasn't PayPal and I couldn't use my credit card and it was just silly. So I go to the bank where I always buy money orders, but I haven't bought one for about three years, and they said, gee, we're really sorry. Uh, we have to take all this information, and then there will be a five-day hold. And I said, excuse me? What? And the gal said, I'm really sorry, but these are the government rules. 
basically have to hold your money order for five days. And I, I just stared at her, and I said, that's crazy. And she kind of laughed and said, yeah, that's crazy. And um, we chatted a little bit more about it, and finally I just said, they've all gone insane down there, which is why I live here now, although the reason I'm sure that they have to do that is because the U.S. went to Canada and said, by the way, because terrorists will, you know, try to transfer money. Ah. This is $40, a $40 money order. Oh, my God. I know, I know. So I ended up going to the post office because I'm sure they collect the information in different ways, but they weren't going to hold it for five days. But this is, is, it's, it's like it's filtered down to the most minute parts of our lives, this, this control. It's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I, mean, I wonder if people ever get tired of all of the control. You know, I mean, how could you not get tired of all of this control? Why do people want it in their lives? And you say, oh, they're afraid. And it's like, yes, but you're still afraid. You're afraid yeah. all the time, but now you're afraid with all these controls. And it's just I, like, it's, it's, why don't you just accept the fear and then go along with your freedom and just be like, yeah, I could get fucked over today or not, but you know what, at least I'm free. Well, I, I, like, I think they're playing the security card. You know, we're going to protect you from people sending $40 so they can buy, you know, Simtex or whatever. Yeah. I mean, like, at, at this point, they're kind of like milking a dead horse because, I mean, seriously, I mean, they've been instituting all these controls and stuff, worse and worse stuff happens, and then you're just like, well, none of these controls are actually working, so let's just get rid of them. No one well, like the, I think people are are very lethargic, and I'm sure the this transmarginal inhibition has something to do with it. But it's just people's things that would have outraged somebody four years ago, just just barely get their attention these days. It's it's quite scary. Absolutely, yeah. What's just accepted? What's really interesting though, and I was pointing this out, I think, to Neil the other day, is that you know, growing up, I mean, I hung around with all these libertarians, and they were always saying, you know, like if they do X, Y, or Z. That's going to start a revolution. Ah, I, that's the line in the sand. And it's like mm-hmm. they've gone past Z all the way around to, to ABC again. You know, they've doubled over onto it, and none of these oh, people it's, did it's, revolt. It's like the it's like the Christians back in back in the eighties, and they were all there was a whole bunch of stuff about oh the mark of the beast, the mark of the beast, and they're talking about uh, what was it a barcode? Yeah, barcodes were the mark of the beast, and that they were going to put barcodes on people. They were going to put uh, uh, barcode implants in them, and as soon as that happened, before Jesus was going to come, A or B, they were going to have a revolution. Uh, mm-hmm. Things were going to, and 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 it's gone so far beyond that now, and nobody has said a word. I know it's it's amazing, and I think because things did not turn out as people pictured it, they, then they just sort of went, well, okay, it really didn't happen. Because they had this yeah. picture in their head of what it was going to look like, and it didn't happen the way they thought it was going to happen, so they, it just kind of dropped off right. the radar. So, so we're and right it, back to Alexis de Tocqueville. You know, will be all the more likely to follow a totalitarian government because it doesn't resemble one. Right. Well, not only that, but people didn't count on the use of fear. Yeah. Because now the very same people who would have who would have been saying, oh, back in the eighties. Well, you know, if they come to me and they want to inject a, some kind of a barcode thing into my uh, uh, into my kids or whatever, I'm not going to let it happen. But then they start worrying about their kids getting lost, kidnapped, or whatever. Yep. And the fear factor gets pumped up, and they say, "Oh yeah, yeah, in, inject a tracker in my kid. Inject, please, please, yep. inject a tracker." 
Yeah. Exactly. Well, anyway, I know you've got more calls. I just wanted to throw that little tiny Thanks piece of totalitarian. All right. All right. Okay. Good show. Take I can't care. wait to hear what else you have to say. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah. So basically, what she's saying is that all of those, uh, all of these little controls and little areas throughout everyone's lives, uh, all of them conspire to basically remind people <coughs> that there is a threat. Um, the threat can be from, well, originally it was kind of terrorism. It was terrorism abroad coming to the U.S. Now it's kind of like maybe homegrown terrorism based on these school shootings and these other guys who have been going off shooting people and stuff, you know, so... It's just it's just a reminder all the time. Like like Lynn just said, you go to do something in the bank, you go transfer some money, and there's a reminder from the bank that uh, there's some kind of threat, there's some kind of potential threat. Yeah. Even just in you transferring money, and that I mean, people probably come across that in in myriad ways, many times each day or each week in the different things they do. The little reminder, the little meme is presented to them that danger, danger, you know, and all of that. I mean, the logical. Uh, reason or agenda behind that, if there is an agenda behind it, would be to basically make people more dependent on authority, uh, afraid basically, and therefore more dependent on, on authority to protect them. You yeah. know, I mean, it, it, it's not rocket science, you know, but it is at a psychological level yeah, that maybe eludes some people, you know. There's two things that uh, the whole thing brings to mind. Uh, the first one is, is Andrew Lobachevsky in his book Political Chronology talks about uh, the hysterization or the hystericization, I think he used the word hysterization, but I didn't like that one, so I changed it to hysterization, of society. When when a society becomes so frightened, so edgy, so, uh, um, you know... Hysterical. You know, they basically become hysterical. And he was talking particularly about the, the dueling mania that was uh, raging across Europe uh, in the late part of the 19th and early part of the 20th century prior to World War One. And that it was this kind of of, uh, of edginess that led to World War One. That uh, you know people were just completely unable to to handle their fears. They were unable. I mean, they would you know go off the half cops you know at the drop of a hat. I mean, look at the, look at all the crazy things that are going on. All the crazy things people are doing. You got another caller coming in? Um, no. Yeah. So. But the, yeah, I mean. But that's the first thing. Because there's a second thing. The second thing is. There's one thing that Victor Kluge points out, and I have found it myself in my own historical research, that during periods of increased cometary and fireball flux, that is, activity in the skies, people tend to become hysterical, and they don't appear to know why. And, and you know, I have this idea that it's it's a, a nervousness. I mean, they're... they're, they're their system is taking in the fact that the weather has gone haywire, that there are increasing earthquakes, there's increasing fireballs, there's a lot of increasing uh, uh, activity on the planet. We're having food shortages, floods, incredible, crazy, freaky weather. People are taking this in, but all the while they're being told it's all normal. By, by the government that this is all normal or worse, it's anthropogenic global warming. It's, it's your all fault. Your, it's all your fault because you've made the, the world, uh, you know, heat up and now we're all screwed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they're getting these uh, this cognitive dissonance going on. On the one hand, their system is reading it. And on the other hand, their brains are trying to normalize it, the normalcy bias uh, uh -huh. routine. So by trying to normalize it, they're in conflict with what their 
They're evolutionary. You know, people are designed evolution. They've evolved. They evolved to survive in a hostile environment on a hostile planet. We have all kinds of systems in our body that read the environment. They 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 detect the temperature, the light, the sound effects, the colors, the you know the possible presence of threats and so forth. And all of that's evolutionarily implanted Mm -hmm. in us. So if your body is designed to do that and it's picking all this stuff up and you feel a threat, but your brain, your program, your trans-marginally inhibited brain has been programmed to say, oh, no, it's not that. It's this instead. That's that's over here. That's what they're getting from from the authorities. They're getting propaganda from the authorities to rationalize it away. So they have... So they have it one and the same time. Their their bodily system telling them one thing, their brain, their program telling them another thing, and they're in a complete state of hysteria as a result because they've got this huge inner conflict going on. They've got a war going on inside mm-hmm. them, and it's making them crazy. You know, people were having basically a global nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. That's what it is mm-hmm. because of this conflict. Um, there's a great book by um, Martha Stout. She's a, she's a, an expert on psychopathology. And she talks about something in almost the same terms that you, you just described, Laura, called limbic warfare, where our limbic system is picking up things what's from our, this environment. What's our limbic system? The limbic system is part of the brain that processes... It's that evolutionary yes, threat that you detection just talked about. system. Okay, yeah. okay right. And she makes the case that every time there's a, not just a, a, a real terrorist attack, terrorist attacks aren't real, but every time there's an event that reminds people of the terror at the political level, it sets off their limbic system, it goes haywire. And she suggested in a great book called The Paranoia Switch, uh-huh. that they are deliberately flicking this. They keep, they keep pushing that button, yeah. pushing that button. They want to keep you in a state of terror because they want to keep you program they want to keep putting in your mind what they want you to think and what they want you to believe because pay no attention to that well, man behind the curtain well, he, and that man behind the curtain believe it or not is out there not over there yeah so they're substituting the threat <clears throat> over there for the threat out there to override it basically right, because, because it, she says she says in, in her book um uh, the paranoia switch she says we are hardwired to be most fearful of harm when it threatens to occur maliciously at the hands of our fellow human beings. Uh-huh. And this special variety of fear is the most contagious of all. Yeah. Right. So sure, there is, a, there is obviously a natural human in, uh, instinct uh, to, to... That they engage to, to distract our attention to what is really out there. And the reason is, and this is the great, greatest thing, I think one of, one of the things Victor Kluge wrote in his book, uh, it was either The Cosmic Winner or... No, it wasn't. It was his, the paper that he wrote for the Air Force. He wrote them a, an assessment of the situation. Uh, the the comet threat. And he said in that paper, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, he says that we do not need, uh, we need, he said we need the Cold War to hide the celestial intentions. Yeah, he said it's not that uh, um, celestial, celestial intentions are being used to hide Cold War intentions. Or celestial events or celestial threats are being used to hide cold war intentions the other way around. Yeah. And I mean, the reason. do Now, the question is do the people in charge, the power elite, 
do they know? Now, you know, I've I've gone back and forth on this. Back when I was writing the Wave and the Adventure series and that all that, you know, I had come to the idea that surely they know. They know when they're making preparations. You know, they're digging underground bases. You know, they're uh, basically getting ready to to trash society. I mean, you remember this this movie? It was kind of really a cheesy, cheesy movie. This 2012 was that the name of it? Where they uh-huh. had the, yeah. the giant arcs in China or something? Yeah. Uh, well, the thing is, is that the reason for the end of the world in that movie was was absolutely stupid. But the idea of the government, you know, preparing a place for themselves, and you know, everybody with billions of dollars can buy into it. And I mean, just think about the fact that Bill Gates, you know, bought into that big seed vault up there, and yeah. where is this Valbard, Norway, Norway. You know, so that, uh, I mean, do they really know? Do they really understand? So I thought, okay, they really know. They really understand. That's why they're doing these underground bases. That's why they've got people programmed. That's why they created 9-11. They wanted to get people transmarginally inhibited so that they could program them and control them. They want to keep them busy because they don't want them paying attention to the earthquakes. They don't want them paying attention to the noctilucent clouds. They don't want them asking the real important questions about what's going on with our climate. They invented this whole anthropogenic global warming business, and I mean, we were on top of that right when it was happening. And they 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 did all this because they want to distract people from the things that are really going on. And, and the thing that drives me nuts is why, why, why? You know, why are they doing this? To to save their own asses. Well, the thing is is. But that, but that requires them to because, know what's going on and to to be <coughs> to be fully conscious of the whole situation and to be taking. The thing is, to save humanity action. from this threat, themselves included, would require a series of actions that is completely opposite to what they're doing. Right? It would be about creating a sustainable a sustainable format of society that could survive those types of things. It isn't so. Uh, that isn't so dependent on central, you know, situations that could be just sort of like commentary impacted and boom, it's gone. And that isn't a war itself. You know, I'm not even sure that I'm not even sure that they could, you know, I mean, that their ideas about how to survive or how to, you know, are are they even feasible? You know, how can they know where, when, how, or I mean. That there would be an impact, or that there would be an event, well, or I there would be an earthquake, or I don't think they do, because you know that's not something that you can know. I know they may have some awareness of it, but as to the idea of them having this broad understanding of of even that this kind of thing happens cyclically, and that it's coming around again, and they're going to save their own butts by building these underground bases and screw humanity, let them all perish in in the fire from heaven. I don't think that's the case. I think, but the really here's the really weird thing. The weird thing is that what they're doing, just as a function, say, of of psychopathy, actually ends up creating a situation where it looks like they are doing it deliberately. Yeah, that's something I thought about too. That's another one. It's almost like nature. It's their nature to do what they do the way they do it, because, and we because, all assume that they know what they're doing yeah. when, in fact, they don't, and they can't. Well, because look at it this way. Here's an argument for it. The, the whole war on terror, we've just been talking about the idea of instilling fear in the population, <laughs> fear of the other. Uh, like Martha Stout says, when a leader chooses to exploit this contagion of, of fear, essentially, a threat of 
harm or death from others. When a leader chooses to exploit this contagion rather than to calm and heal it, he is engaging in what Stark calls limit warfare. So, here's the thing. The whole war and terror, which creates fear among the population, like threat of it's harm... It's a war of terror, well, not on terror. Well, threat or death to Americans, to whoever this terrorist threat is, is, is targeting. That is being done, as far as I'm concerned, that's, that's being done simply to as a justification for imperial expansion, which behind which is just greed and a need for power and control and domination and stuff. So that's that's their reason for doing it, not the idea that they're using the whole terror threat that created the terror terror threat and uh, and to 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 mask the celestial threat. It's having the same result. It's having that that effect, but that's not the intention. Yeah. The intention is just pure greed to to expand empire and to control as many people as they can. And, you know, they get their jollies from killing people and blowing people up with drones and stuff like that. But the, the re- I don't think there is any overarching conscious agenda among the elite to mask any potential threat from... I think the there heavens. is among some of them. Maybe there a way is, up there high. Is, there is among some of them. Because there, to, to me, there's no other explanation for this massive underground base building uh Activity. Uh, there's no other explanation for, say, this this seed vault that they created. I mean, I mean, if if some of these other scientists are correct, and we are heading into an ice age, what the heck good is a seed vault in Svalbard, Norway, going to be? I mean, it will be under what six miles of ice. They've got the drilling machines. They can get at it. Oh, they think they can. They reckon they can. But but even that, I mean, even that is, I'm sure they do know because we have this Pentagon report that they presented to Bush in 2004 saying that basically climate change is going to just screw things up worldwide. Uh, The UK is going to be Siberian by 2020. I mean, this is all officially, this is the official Pentagon report uh, to to Bush. And there will be wars for natural resources, like for, well, there's already wars for natural resources, but wars for water and food. So clearly someone is thinking about that in, in government and knows about it. I'm sure they would be taking precautions uh, for that eventuality and doing something to save, make, making sure they're okay. But that still doesn't necessarily mean that they have taken action to keep the population, you know, placated uh, in, in the way that we're talking about. Like that they consciously are... that it, Because to think that way posits a really Machiavellian, broad, yeah, you know, dastardly not. plan where they... There's do you know what I mean? No That's they. centuries old almost, you know? There's no they. Well, yeah, this is a thorny there's question. There's no they. Is there uh, a grand conspiracy or not? There's no grand conspiracy. I mean, these guys are, are a bunch of series of factions who may or may not be more or less aware on different levels of various different things and have different agendas, you know? I mean, there's the psychopathic leader guy who just wants to rape the economy and make all of his money and do some backroom deals and get out of politics when he's done. And, and there does seem to be an undercurrent of of maybe there's a conspiracy of some people, like I was talking about the other day, of this sort of like this group of, of very intelligent people who might be planning this kind of stuff, because sometimes you see that, but most of the time what you see is just chaotic, uh, rapacious, you know, greedy nature to politicians. They're just sort of running amok around here. And the problem is, is that what they do seems so consistent because they're consistently self-interested. You know, that they just, they always do 
what they do. What the program to do. You know, I mean, psychopaths are consistent. If you put them in charge of an economy, what will they do? Lots of backhand dealing and, you know, raping the economy left, right, and center. You put them in charge of the military, and all of a sudden there's, you know, Marines peeing on dead bodies and stuff like that. And it's like, well, what did you expect when you put a psychopath in charge of those things? That's the kind of stuff that happens. Yeah, so they just do what they do according to their nature. So if you're looking for a grand conspiracy, you'd have to look at who created psychopaths. If anybody created them, is there someone who, you know what I mean? At that point, you've gone way beyond this. Well, I think that nature has an ace in the hole on that one, and that is plague. Because the one thing that consistently recurs throughout history, and generally in concert with uh, increased cometary flux, and, this, and it happens whether there are impacts or not, because if there's an increased flux, there is a deposition of, of comet uh, dust in the upper atmosphere and it can take about two years for it to filter down to the ground and you can have an event and then two years later you can have a plague that starts and if anybody has been reading their history and reads about say the Black Death or about the plague of Justinian uh, then they would probably be aware that you've got a 75 to 80 percent mortality rate. Now if you imagine that and, and of course since it's airborne you know, living in an isolated place is not going to be a protection. Uh, so, you know, the thing is, is once a plague like that gets started, if you imagine 80% of the population of the planet Earth, you know, getting sick and dying within 10 to 15 days or less, uh, you've got a really big problem on your hands. And uh, you also have something that is introduced into the biosphere uh, to which there is, uh, in general, no immunity. I mean, nobody nobody is special. Being a psychopath doesn't make you immune to uh, a plague virus. Yeah, psychopathy is a, is a problem mm. with your brain. You so, know. so I think that uh, nature does have a little bit of a of the upper hand on that, and we are really uh, almost exactly now due for the next big, uh, uh, I would say, cosmic plague. And I find it very interesting that it comes right at a time when this whole hystericization of of global society, but in particular maybe American society, is, is happening, you know, where it's really getting out of control, out of hand. There seems to be some almost like a symbiosis uh, between well, the two. I, I just note that it's interesting that we have this increase in fireballs and then this, this in, impactor event in Russia. And it's, it's almost like it's needed, you know, something needs to be done, you know because it really is getting out of, out of control in the U.S. I mean, we mentioned all these, these this hysteria around schools and kids with paper guns and stuff. And, I mean, there's also been, over the past uh, few weeks, there's been several um, military drills over, unannounced uh, military drills over American towns where you have helicopters and, you know, kind of SWAT teams and stuff just to send it at night. There's one over in Miami, there's one in, uh, in Texas, there's one in Texas, there's one in California. And people just kind of wake up at night or during the day or whatever, look up and they see these Black Hawk helicopters flying around and gunfire and stuff, and they don't know what's going on, you know. Uh, but I was watching a report, and one resident of a town that this occurred over was asked what he thought about it, and he says, well, if it keeps the kids safe, you know. So, I mean, when I hear, when I hear the average American saying that, I mean... I can't but help think that I can't help but think that 
that that was by design. Because, I mean, if, if the government wants to put a police state in place, if that's been their goal to militarize society and create a police state, well, then they're doing, pretty, they're doing a pretty good job, whether it's, function, it's, whether it's just a natural function of psychopathy or whether it's planned that way. It doesn't really matter. It seems to be happening, you know? And, I mean, this whole business with... Um, I mean, the whole... Obviously, it began with 9-11, the war on terror, and then torture, getting American people to accept the idea of torture as something fine, okay, even for innocent people with, 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 where there's no evidence that they did anything wrong. Torture them anyway, just in case, to keep us safe. And, okay. now, and now it's drones, uh, drone strikes, and uh, basically... How low we have gone well, in, in, in what... Well, it's not, it's not. It's now Ameri- yeah. It's now American citizens. You know, I mean, there's um, this guy John Brennan, who is Obama has nominated to be his next, the next uh, director of the CIA, was uh, was just up uh, in front of the the uh, Senate uh, Senate confirmation hearing to see whether he was would be approved or not. You know, and he's basically the zone or the drone czar or the assass- drone assassination czar, and has been for quite a long time. And um, it's basically about, a lot of the discussion was about whether or not it was okay for what they call, say, the president, but whether or not it's okay for the U.S. government or the CIA to basically decide when they can kill American citizens without any due process whatsoever. If they determine that one American citizen on their kill list, which they call a disposition, or well, in Orwellian speak it's called a disposition matrix, but it's basically a kill list of people drawn up by the CIA, and it includes, and can include, American citizens. And if someone, they say the president, but obviously Obama has no idea what's going on, really, he'll, you know, he'll just do whatever the CIA tell him to do in, in, sense of, in the sense of the information they bring. But if they decide they can kill an American citizen, then boom, that's it. No trial, no do, due do, process, nothing. Do those people in the Senate, you know, in the House of Representatives, in the government itself, even understand that historically speaking, whenever anyone has been given such a power, they, used it. they have used it against the very people who gave them that power. Absolutely. Every yeah. single time. You look back at, at the history of ancient Athens, you look back at the his, history of ancient Rome, you look at the you know European Middle Ages, you look at Nazi Germany, you know, you look at things that have gone on in Britain during the time of, of say Elizabeth I and so forth, any time, every time that any group or individual has been given that kind of power to, you know, uh, extrajudicially murder someone, that is, to mm-hmm. murder them without due process of law, mm-hmm. it has always, always been turned on those very people who instituted the rule. Oh, yeah. That's an interesting thought. We have a call here. Hi, caller. What's your name and where are you from? Hello, uh, this is Bernard from Topanga, California. Hey, Bernard. Hey, hi. Up, hi, Bernard. Hello, from the belly of the beast, close to Los Angeles. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. How's that belly looking these days? It's all right. I keep, you know... It's okay. Not too bad, no. Okay. I can, on some level, more and more people are becoming more aware, so that's, you know, on a positive note, despite all the drama that's going on. Um, I had a question and comment in regards to what you guys were saying about the recent uh, meteor impact and what's happening. 
And I want to ask a question in uh, something, Laura, you wrote in your first book, The Secret History of the World, and you referred to your husband's work about the event, uh, what was it, the EQT, event yeah. quantum theory, and in yeah. relation to objective reality, like, you know, because from what I get, from what I hear, there's not much we can do about what's happening in the world and the cosmic yeah. changes. But it's also your theory that the more people actually observe the universe as it views itself, the more we get a land of objective reality, the yeah. more we can mitigate these kind of events from happening. So that's yeah. very important. Just the, the best thing we can do for us for our world is to really seek truth in the most objective way as we can. Well, what we're seeing is what happens when we do the exact opposite, which is that you have all these people who are not seeing the world as it really is and following in this illusion and things are going to pot. So, you know, maybe the other way is true. Why don't we try it? You know, who knows? Absolutely. Sitting up and taking notice, at least, would be a start. Yeah, but it, <coughs> it feels so hopeless because people are so frightened. They are so uh, traumatized, and this is being done deliberately, and we keep saying over and over again, people, wake up. This is what they're doing to you. They're doing this to you deliberately. Wake up, wake up, wake up. And, of course, you know, our voice is so small and so obscure, and and they're, they have so much money. They have billions of dollars in the Pentagon. And we have, don't publish in peer-reviewed journals. And Yeah, and then they have the cyber warfare. And, you know, it just has to happen one person at a time, you know. That's that's all I can say. And, and, in, and in a funny sort of way, I guess when, when we put the information out there and people choose to ignore it and to believe the lies, They've chosen, and they have condemned themselves by their refusal to, you know, to to accept the truth. Living slaves. Right. So, uh, but yeah, back back to that theory. But in a sense, like, you know, because on some level, our consciousness has an effect on reality, right? And that's this whole distortion in the New Age about you made your own reality, right? Yeah. Where people kind of hide in their subjective bubble of just like focusing on what they want to see. Yep. When in fact, kind of like, yes, truth is mixed with lies, and we actually do create our own reality to a degree, but it is more about seeing the world as it is, and then the, the, we would create more harmony and, you know, on some level prevent these events from happening. Yeah, well, you know, if we could get enough level. people to see it, well, that, that could happen, right. because, you know, the, the, the one thing that happens when you finally acknowledge how things really are. Now, what would happen if all of these people who are so scared, like the, like the one Joe just described, it says, oh, if it's keeping the kids safe, what if that guy suddenly said, wait a minute, this is not acceptable, this has nothing to do with keeping our kids safe, I'm going to do something, I'm going to get together with my neighbors, and we are all going to see this reality, and we're going to act based on what is true. Then... Right. You you see that it's like in a sense you create your own reality, but it doesn't happen without a little bit of you know blood, sweat, and tears. You know, there's ten percent inspiration right. and ninety percent perspiration. Seeing the truth. So ba- right. It's so like, basically, it's like John like, Lennon. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So basically, I, I guess that so the more people would see objective reality, then they would actually act on it and not buy into the lies and not being fooled and manipulated by the system right. government. And even now with this whole, with the people would realize that what is happening with the uh, comets and, and the cosmic changes and they would realize that the powers 
are aware of that and also can do nothing about it, they would just not simply, you know, go along anymore with the whole Right. Yeah. It's like John Lennon said, you know, I, I, he believes, you know, love is all you need, but just saying it isn't going to do it. Right. <laughs> you gotta, right. you got to actually do things. Yeah, so, I mean, where did that whole you create your own reality thing come from precisely? I mean, I I, I think it's uh, some kind of postmodernist uh, reinterpretation of, of uh, you, you know, quantum uncertainty principles. I found this interesting book by Mark Twain. I've got a Kindle collection of all of his works. And in there is a sort of um, uh, a satire of Christian science, the that, that was the Blavatsky thing or something? No, that was Theosophy. Uh, no, the... What was that book? Mary uh, Baker Eddy. Yeah, Mary Baker yeah, the Key to the Scriptures thing and stuff like that. And he, he writes this thing about it. And the way he satires it is basically like saying that, in essence, their philosophy was this, you create your own reality. So obviously this whole thing was very old, you know? Was, yeah, that's true. You know, like the, the, the Christian scientist comes to him and says, well, you... You haven't really broken all those bones. They're not really broken, you know. You just have to think positive thoughts, and they, un- and they will magically be healed, you know, type of thing. So it's obviously like very old. Didn't yeah. didn't work out for a lot of people though. <coughs> it's very old, and it's not just something that's limited to New Age type people today. It's it's become the global state of mind. You yeah. Know, I, I, I create my this. truth, your truth. Yeah. You know? I mean, what the hell happened to the truth and the yeah. world? Yeah, reality. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that goes into what I'm struggling here within uh, the New Age uh, Kingdom of the World here in Los Angeles. Like, you yeah. know, the whole oh, idea about, like, when I speak about truth, well, then there's no truth. There's only my truth and your truth. And, uh, you uh, got to work that for you. You know, and all these things, you know. Um, yeah. I get bombarded with when I speak out about these things. But... Well, yeah, it is. It, I mean, it's really sad because literally the whole New Age thing is, is very is the same that like fundamental religion, fundamentalist religion, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. New Age fundamentalism. Yeah. 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 You create your own reality, and then they want to believe that aliens are going to, you know, come down and save them or beam them aboard and, you know, out of all their problems, and all they have to do is, you know, what really, what, what really. Surprise me is this guy? What's his name? Uh, Wayne Dwyer or something? Uh, yeah, Wayne Dwyer. Did all of, yeah, he did all of these, you know, books about you know how to uh, basically how to create your own reality. So he talks about how how he did it. You know, he wrote this book, and then he got a whole bunch of copies of the book, put them in the back of a station wagon, and he went on a tour across the country. Every city he went to, he had like you know these cities that he went to that were designated. He had marked them on maps. He'd go there and he'd go and knock on the door of radio stations and tell him he's got this book and he wants to wants them to interview him on the radio so he can talk about his book. You know, this is a great book. You know, so so he gets on the radio and he talks and he does this whole you know blitzkrieg tour of the entire United States talking on radios. You know, and then of course a lot of doors got slammed in his face. But basically, he put a huge amount of physical activity and effort into making his dream come true and then he tells people you know basically you just got to you know think positive and be positive and things will happen for you but that's not what he did right. he got in a station wagon and drove across the country knocking on doors and and, and force fed his book and into the market and made himself a bestseller right 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 yeah. you know, what kind of like deal those, is that? 
Right, kind of like those books, you know, How to Get Rich in, in 20 Days, and then this guy who wrote the book is getting rich by selling the book, basically. What, yeah. what about this Anthony Robbins uh, guy? I tell this story, I tell this story every once in a while. I love Anthony Robbins. He's like a personal hero of mine. Not for the <laughs> reason, right? He's an author, he's a life coach type of thing. Yeah. He does seminars, NLP, so he's, he's all into that kind of stuff. So he's like a personal hero, but not for the reasons he is for other people. So he has this seminar that he does about how to get wealthy. And he, he does this introductory speech where he's talking about it. I'm watching this introductory speech on the video, and he's talking about when he first came up with his first um, life coaching seminar. He's like, I was writing the seminar about how to increase your wealth, and I was living in a one-room apartment sleeping underneath my desk. And so I said, okay. So you had sold, you were you were selling a seminar on how to get rich while you're living in a one-room apartment sleeping under your desk, right? And then I started to think about how paradoxical this was because I started thinking, until the moment when people paid to go to the seminar, he was a liar. But the moment they actually paid for the seminar and believed him, he was telling the truth. <laughs> he really did know how to get rich. <laughs> so it's kind of like this paradox because he wasn't a success until people believed that he knew the idea of success and then he was a success and then therefore we know the idea of success. And it just right. always tricks me out about how circular that well, is. Well, that's, that's what he does with Anthony, yeah. He's a genius. He's a, my favorite thing about Tony Robbins, though, is he, uh, he, he wrote this book, and he, he went around the country doing this seminar about how to have the perfect relationship with your wife, and then, like, six months later, divorced. <laughs> yeah. Like, Wasn't he the guy who took people firewalking, and they all burned their feet? I don't know if he did that. I, mean, I think he did. I think he did that on a retreat or something. Yeah, he got, I, he I got in trouble for it. husband went on <laughs> It actually did it. You did the firewalk. Yeah. yeah. Come yeah. firewalk with me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. You know. Yeah. I just thank you for coming. Right. Yeah. yeah. Good, hear, good hear from you and uh, keep up the good work, guys. I would uh, say keep California safe, but uh, I'd rather hear you call in and tell us what the view from beneath the ocean looks like. Yeah. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Bye. Yeah, so um, I suppose I'll just give out the number here again in case people want to call in. Um, it's from the U.S., 718-508-9499, and you put 001 in front of that from outside the U.S., and you can also email us at radio at S-O-T-T dot net. So I just want to get back to what we were talking about beforehand because I have some stuff to say on that, oh, and I yeah. will be heard. Oh dear! <clears throat> Got a rant coming. Well, I don't know. No, no. It's basically just about because I have some. Okay, hang on. Somebody just is interrupting me here with another call. <laughs> and since I'm such a good person, mm-hmm. I'm going to cut myself off in favor in favor of this caller. I hope they they better say something good. Hi, caller. You're on the air. What's your name? Hello, caller. You scared them away. They just, I scared them away. I, it was when I said they better have something good to say. They hung up. All right, if you want to call back, you don't have to have something particularly good to say. Uh, as long as you've got something to say, you can call back. But yeah, so. Don't be scared. Joe's a nice guy, really. I'm really nice. I, I, no, he's not. No. <laughs> he beats me every time before we come on to the show. So, <clears throat> getting back to this thing, I was just saying that basically they're having this debate, senators and the potential new, probable new director of the CIA having this debate, not really a debate, a discussion uh, about whether or not it's okay to kill Americans. 
in any way, but potentially with drones, because that seems to be the the weapon of choice these days, uh, extrajudicially, i.e. no, uh, what is the Fifth Amendment, no due process, um, just if the CIA thinks you're an enemy combatant or you're doing something wrong, they can kill you and boom, it's all legal, apparently. They're saying it's legal, that they've checked with their lawyers. And of course, Obama's a, I think he was originally a constitutional lawyer, but I don't think Obama has much to do with it anyway. Like I said, it's the CIA and all these crazy people, backroom boys, who are going out collecting intelligence and deciding who is the enemy combatant and who isn't and then presenting that, and supposedly Obama has the final say, but Obama's just going to take what they say. He's not out there doing the research. He's not out there gathering intelligence. Um, you, know, so, you know, that happened back in ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. And you know what happened to the people who uh, instituted that rule and actually did it? They got... They lost their heads. I mean, literally lost their heads yep. and they got put on pipes. Well, I, just, I have an audio clip here that I'm going to play from the Senate confirmation hearing for right. this guy, John Brennan. Um, and I just want to say, actually, before I, um, there's a, a caveat here that this guy, John Brennan, is Irish, uh, or his parents, he's a son of Irish immigrants. And uh, for reasons that will become clear, on behalf of myself and Neil, uh, I would just want to say that he's a disgrace to the Irish population because we are both Irish, and uh, we were basically disowning him. Uh, any, to do with this. any claim he has to any Irish ancestry is, has been revoked by me and you. Anyway, here's the clip. Let me ask you several other questions with respect to the President's authority to kill Americans. I've asked you how much evidence the President needs to decide that a particular American can be lawfully kill, killed and whether the administration believes that the President can use this authority inside the United States. In my judgment, both the Congress and the public need to understand the answers to these kind of fundamental questions. What do you think needs to be done to ensure that members of the public understand more about uh, uh, when the government thinks it's allowed to kill them, particularly with respect to those two issues, the question of uh, evidence and uh, the authority to use uh, this uh, power within the United States? I have been a strong proponent of trying to be as open as possible with these programs as far as our explaining what we're doing. What we need to do is optimize transparency on these issues, but at the same time optimize secrecy and the protection of our national security. I don't think that uh, it's one or the other. It's trying to optimize both of them. And so what we need to do is make sure we explain to the American people what are the thresholds for action, what are the procedures, the practices, the processes, the, the approvals, the reviews. The Office of Legal Counsel Advice establishes the legal boundaries within which we can operate. It doesn't mean that we operate at those outer boundaries. And in fact, I think the American people will be quite pleased to know that we've been very disciplined, very judicious, and we only use these authorities and these capabilities as a last resort. So there you have it. Um, hey, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I just got to say this one thing. I, this guy is saying, hey, we kill people. He's a murderer and therefore saying, but don't worry. Trust me. I only do it when I have to. Yeah. I mean, who believes a murderer? Well, what kind of person believes a it's murderer? It's kind of ridiculous. First, the first thing you noticed was that he said that the bullshit he came up with, which he wants to optimize transparency and optimize secrecy. How do you do that? I am still, I'm still picking my job <clears throat> off the floor. Bit of both. both. And <laughs> then, obviously, the legal boundaries, uh, the president would 
the president would only uh, would only kill an American as a last resort. Uh, but obviously, legal boundaries, like you're saying, Jason, legal boundaries in this situation. What what has floored me is that I, an American, have lived to see the day when the the representatives of our government would seriously entertain someone saying, "Can we arbitrarily kill American citizens?" I mean, that's just insane. It's uh, well, uh, it's flabbergastingly insane. If you're an American and you hear that and you're like, "What the?" But that's the whole point. The whole point is it's gone to that point now where, where, where people are... are they, they are actually saying things like that this was in the American Senate hearing <clears throat> and actually expect people to think that there is any sanity still in that government body? Yeah. I mean, he talks about legal boundaries and, you know, we've established what? the legal boundaries and stuff, what but they've already, they've already decided that they can kill American citizens on the say-so of some shadowy CIA group and their, and also the president. But, the but president, we promise we won't abuse this power when you give it to us. As long as... Yeah. Yes. I mean... The, the executive, whether king, tyrant, president, getting this power is the crowning moment of a dictatorship or the the end. Well, that's, that is, that's absolutely. the end of the democracy. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's freaking over. Well, there's it's the over. Fifth, there's that clause in the Fifth Amendment, you know, of the, of the U.S. Constitution that says that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. But we can just blow you up with a, with a drone strike. That's a violation of the Fifth Amendment. Just plain and simple. Yeah, period. No more democracy. Boom. Gone. But it doesn't matter. Right. And this, I mean, they're having this discussion, and this guy, John Brennan, is he's basically a, a career CIA guy. He tried, Obama tried to get him uh, put into, uh, nominated, or nominated him as the CIA director back in 2008, and he, he was, it, his nomination was rejected because of his past history with, because he was basically the torture czar before he became the drone assassination czar. He was, he, he was, he was right there in the center of the whole, the uh, Bush legit- torture thing? Under Bush, yeah. legitimizing and, because and, he was TIA. And, and Obama was going to change things. Obama was going to change, but he's not. He basically and everything was going to be fixed. And oh, so, so this guy has. It, it's like it's like he has this. Mo- I mean, he's a he's a killer basically. He's an, he's he's an assassination czar, right? I mean, what difference is there if you take away the flowery words and the, con- the, the 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 Senate hearing and all this kind of stuff and the way they're discussing it and legal boundaries? What difference is there between people like him and? The Nazis, like you know, there go, is no difference. I mean, they all wanted to kill as well. No they were difference. they were all bloodthirsty. It's maniacs. night of the long knives all it, over again. But it's just presented in different in different terms. But it's exactly the same. Hang on, we've got a call. Hi, Carl. What's Hello. your name and where are you? Hi. Hi. What's your name? And my name is Micho. Hi, Micho. Where uh, are you calling from? From Poland. Oh, Poland. We like Poland. <laughs> Glad yeah, to hear you. What's your question or comment? Uh, well, in fact, I called because to uh, get this opportunity to hear you alive. <laughs> I okay. mean, to hear you live. <laughs> and, uh, uh, well, one question which uh, just uh, I made uh, at a minute ago <laughs> was to, uh, the question to Laura. Is... Uh, I mean, you realized a lot of things, and uh, today's topic about uh, catastrophes and uh, and social hysteria. And uh, but uh, the question about uh, comets: uh, How do you 
how do you think would be it, would it be possible to realize such a knowledge without uh, support of uh, uh, Cassiopeians? And uh, other question related to this one was, uh, which was the first material uh, which made you realize that uh, uh, there is something in uh, in this subject that uh, I don't know that uh, these catastrophes are, uh, okay, are happening. Well, okay, and let's, let's, let's break this down into uh, simple questions. First, you know, how would I have been able to realize this knowledge without uh, inspirational help, shall we say? Uh, most of the work that I've done has actually been work. Because, you know, for me, uh, inspiration is just that. It's 10% of the process. Uh, everything mm -hmm. in my book is, you know, researched through science. I, you know, I have gone through the material. I have gathered together the work from peer-reviewed journals. I have gathered together the work from some of the, the best scientists on the planet. I have assembled it. Uh, you know, yes, there has been inspiration. But I would have to say that, um, uh, you know, it's work. It's work. There is inspiration, but it's work. And mm -hmm. so that that's one thing I would say. The other thing I would say is is that you know my interest in the uh, in the whole topic <coughs> began when I was very very young, which is was the most basic question which probably every thinking person asks, which is why are we here? What is our purpose? What's this all about? You know, I'm here on this planet. You know, I have all of these various inputs and outputs in my system. What are they really for? You know, what's the meaning of life? And, uh, you know, and it just kind of took off from there. You know, what's, well, you know, if, if there's any meaning to life, you know, how does evil exist? Uh, why are people cruel to one another? You know, these are all basic fundamental questions. Uh, you know, I could have, well, I have spent my entire life researching those questions. For me, uh, the Cassiopeian experiment is just a 10% part of what I do. 90% of it is freaking hard labor. And these people around here sitting at this table will tell you that I read until sometimes until my eyes literally, you know, turn red and swell and weep because there is so much material to cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Michael, you you realize, I'm sure you know that, or maybe you don't know, but I mean all of the data that Laura has uncovered has is all out there. It, it, it's data from uh, from many different sources that was that that exists. You know, it's not it's not supposition or something that she made up or something that was, you know, came to her in a, in a moment of inspiration necessarily. The inspira surely there were little hints in the inspiration, but that that was just uh, that just led her to go out and look for all of the hard evidence and all of the hard mm -hmm. evidence there. Yeah, so everything that we say is backed up by hard evidence. And we have to we have to give credit to the you know there's a a marvelous uh, series of of scientists, you know, whose work I rely on heavily, and uh, you know, they're like Fred Hoyle and uh, Victor Klug and Mike Bailey and Mark Bailey and uh, uh, Bill Napier and Richard Firestone and uh, Alan West and Simon Warwick Smith. I mean, they're all scientists. You know, these these are all scientists, and some of them I communicate with directly. You know, and ask them questions. You know, which they answer for me, and that information goes into my book. You know, mm -hmm. so when I write stuff, you know, it's not because I'm so damn smart. It's because I'm standing on the shoulders of these giant intellects. 
and and they have done some of the, some of the most amazing work, um, and they are unsung heroes, really. All right. Thanks for answering. All right, Michael. Yeah, thanks thank for your calling. Good to hear you, and I uh, wish you all the best. You too. Take care too. of Poland for us. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Okay, bye. Bye. Anyway, yeah. So obviously, people are interested in um, comets and stuff, but not surprising after what's just happened. Yeah, I mean, this was the, we can say this was the largest kind of event like that since Tunguska. Yeah, since two good, yeah, and they've even, they've said that it was the biggest one in a hundred years, and I, I I would say that that was since Tunguska. Do we want to hear it? Uh, oh hear yeah, it? yeah, yeah. It, everybody, okay, listen up here because we're going to play the sound of this exploding meteor or comet fragment, whichever it was. We've, we've cut this, uh, we've extracted this from the one of the videos where it was. Recorded, and you're going to get to hear the actual sound of an exploding meteor. If you haven't heard it already, I hope you've already you know looked at the video. Just so you know what it sounds like if it happens again. Pretty cool, huh? Sounded like a bomb. How far away was it? Uh, um, they think between ten and ten and fifteen kilometers up. No, well, I mean from that place where that recording was made. Oh, he, was direct, he was directly below it. Well, not directly below, but you he know. was in the city. Well, but th- there was the explosion, yeah. So he was pretty much below it when it when the big one happened, and oh. that was the detonation, that was the ablation, and then the other explosions I heard afterwards were either further, smaller fragments further off hitting the ground or exploding further further off as they travel down. Say that one more time. Yeah, you want to hear it again? Okay. Yeah, I want to hear it again. That was you awesome. hear the weird noises? It's a, it's yeah. A, that was car alarms going off and stuff no, and shattering another, glass. There's another weird noise if you listen to the reverberating noise. booming. No, listen very closely and it's not a car alarm. It's Here it is. Not a car alarm. It's like do do do. No, 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 not that one. It's weird. It's on this, this little. I don't know. It's mm. a weird sound. Maybe yeah. it was it. That's why I thought it was techno music when he first played it, because there was this this slight sound in the it's background. Not, it's not something you hear every day, but you know. It's probably some kind of siren. Maybe we'll maybe we'll hear them every day. Well, well it wasn't patterned. Like it wasn't a recording well, pattern. The thing is, is that uh, you know that's a pretty awesome thing to experience. And the fact is, is that there are records of people experiencing that and worse. Mm. And there are descriptions of it in, in you know, ancient writings. And this is some, uh, some of the material that I'm going to be presenting in the upcoming volume that follows uh, the Holmes of Moses. Uh, so we're going to have, um, I'm going to be actually quoting the direct words of some of the witnesses of these events. and. Now that we have a, you know, maybe maybe we ought to include a little, you know, CD with the, with the next book that has this recording, yeah. so people can can understand what these people were talking about. A reference, about. yeah. Because mm-hmm. it was, and just imagine uh, people back then 
without their knowledge of uh, astronomy and things that we have nowadays, this this was what you just heard was the thunderbolt of Zeus. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was that that's was, what it was called. That 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 is that was Zeus. He was really pissed off too. Um, yesterday, a, a stock reader put me onto a podcast by Cliff High, in which he claims he had some contact with someone from the city of Shabang in Gulf, where this thing impacted overhead. And the lady there described that as soon as the boom happened, she temporarily lost her hearing. Yeah. And then it came back to her gradually. And she said that there was something she couldn't really describe, but she felt like she, the way she described it was uh, something happened to her brain, that she'd had a, her, her state of mind had changed. Yeah. Well, and I she, guess mine yeah. would change too. Yeah. Something <laughs> like that. Life-changing event right there. Yeah. Well, well, that's one thing I talk about in, in comments and the Horns of Moses is uh, the, the potential for genetic changes uh, involved with these kinds of events because there are several things that can several things that are produced by such a body that can induce genetic changes. Uh, one is the um, is is, uh, is actually the light. You know, then there is you know electromagnetic frequencies that uh, that are emanated from the uh, from the body as it passes through the atmosphere. Uh, there's some speculation by one person in a paper I read about heat shock proteins that uh, the heat shock uh, can activate certain genetic changes. Uh, any there's a variety of things that there's may be a, happening. There's a history of mutation. Wasn't there, there was a mutation from the Tunguska event? There was a yeah. There were mutations not only in plants, but there was also one reported in a in a family where blood type actually changed. Um, and all of these ancient stories of these kinds of disasters are accompanied by tales of uh, freaks being born afterwards, either dwarves or giants and most often cannibals. So, you know, you can excuse the cannibal references by thinking that uh, probably after such a series of events, you know, that there's uh, maybe a lack of food, you know, there's starvation going on and people turn cannibalistic. Or zombie apocalypse. Yeah, but on the other hand, some of the other, some of the Native American stories actually suggest that it wasn't a lack of food that turned people into cannibals, but a lust for human flesh. Mm. So there's something to look oh. there's something to look forward to. Yeah, so there you know, so you wonder if if all of the uh tales of say werewolves and vampires and and that sort of thing are something that were offshoots of these kinds of events. And after these events, there were uh, probably several generations of extreme mutations that were you know, being faced or dealt with by the survivors. Mm-hmm. Some of these events were pretty horrendous. I saw, I just, <clears throat> sorry, I saw an article just today about uh, part human fetus being born from a sheep in Nigeria. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. But then I remember there have been several other stories like that. Mm-hmm. There well, was a lamb born in Turkey a couple of years back. Well, yeah, but don't don't get too excited about that sort of thing because we're also just calm down. Yeah. I mean, we're we're all so similar in, uh, in in our genetics. You know, human beings and all the other creatures in the, in, on the planet. You know, there's just a you know few genes difference or, or, or 
or something very often from species to species so that, you know, some kind of genetic anomaly or some kind of uh, fluke can cause, uh, you know, can cause a human to produce a child that looks, you know, animalistic or a, vice, or a sheep to produce something that looks... Crab hands. Yeah, crab hands. And because, I mean, if you look at embryos of different species at, at certain stages, you know, sometimes you, you can't even tell them apart, you yeah. know? So if, if one of them, and the thing about a human, a human baby is the human baby is the most immature of creatures when it is born. It is still, it is still in the state that, you know, it, it should be gestated for probably another few years, you know? Mm. So that, uh, you know, if you have, a, say, a sheep embryo that kind of mutates to where it, it doesn't develop beyond okay. A certain stage of development, it would come out looking sort of human. So, okay. mm-hmm. so don't you know? Don't let these kind of tales carry you away. There. We just got a couple of questions here uh, from a listener called Michael, and just getting back to what you were saying about the, about um, your book, Comets and Horns and Moses. He quotes you and says. From your book, he says, just as a few disease pathogens of exceptional virulence can take down a human system and incapacitate it or even kill it, so can a few deviant personalities and their networks of propaganda, sorry, and their networks of propagated pathogenic cohorts participate in the genesis of a kind of evil which envelops an entire nation. Did I write that? Apparently. Wow. That was a lot of alliteration there. Yeah. Yeah. And... Another quote, it seems that in a world where the people cannot or will not rise up against psychopathy and power, the cosmos will do it for them yeah. and take them out as well for their silence and acquiescence. Apathy is the only thing. So he, his um, question is, we've kind of answered this, but his question is, our coming cataclysm is to restore our balance created by a few deviant personalities? But it's not just a few deviant personalities, it's an infection that's spread throughout the population. Yeah, yeah. remember... You remember back in the day when uh, Bush and Gang and all that kind of stuff was kind of like being a little bit taken to task for all the crap that they were doing, and all of their speeches were a few bad apples, a few bad apples, it's just a few bad apples. And I always point out that the, the, the second part of that saying is that a few bad apples ruin the bunch, right? That if you have a few bad apples, you have to throw out the entire bushel because it causes them all to rot, you know? And that's the same kind of situation we have here. If you allow your society to be taken over by pathocratic individuals, the whole society is spoiled. The whole society yeah. is pretty much perpetually spoiled. I mean, you, there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to wait for, for it to basically, the fever there to, to burn itself out. If you either die in the course, which happens a lot with a lot of civilizations in history, or maybe you survive, or maybe you have, you know, at some point, but... Well, that kind of answers more or less his, his, his other... The, the rest of his question, which was, or comment, which was, why does everyone have to take the blame? Well, because he says, he says, this is such a severe, I like the way we put this, this is such a severe paddle whacking on the rear, for God's sakes. <laughs> and he says, who in their brilliant hyperdimensional mind came up with this scheme? Is this restoring to balance an impersonal force <coughs> like gravity? No, let me let me just say, we're sitting here, we're having this conversation, we're broadcasting this where anybody on the face of the planet could tune in and listen if they chose to. We have been writing and producing uh, articles and books for the last umpteen years. You know, the information is available. I say once again, if you have 
the access to the information and you blow it off, you've made a choice. You have condemned yourself. If you have the opportunity to see what is happening to your country, to your world, if you have the capacity, which you do, you have it, if you would just choose to stop being lazy in your brain and choosing the easy way out and, and, and the you know, the easy belief. Here's an example, right? Clay Shirky, I love Clay Shirky, he does this TED Talk. Aaron Schwartz uh, is, you know, a folk hero, all this stuff. They hear about the SOPA and the PIPA Act. This goes out and basically everyone on the internet picks it up. They get access to the information. And these guys were not huge pundits. You know, they just spread the information. And everyone latched onto it and said, oh, yeah. They burned up the telephones for Congress. They sent emails, signed petitions, all this different stuff, all this work when they heard about the soap and the people. BS. Now you have this Brenner guy. He's in Congress. Brennan, yeah. Brennan, Brennan, whatever his name is. He's in Congress right now, and he's saying, we can kill people. We can kill people. Thank you for that right, and promise not to do it meanly or promise not to abuse this power, right? So this totally the most ridiculous situation that you could ever possibly think of. Every libertarian right now should be immediate. I mean... They should be marching on Washington. They should march. I mean, I don't think that people should get violent. This is not a cause for resolution. I think that people should be burning up the phones of Congress. They should be sending them all of these mails. They should be doing, talking about this. None of them are. It's like, sorry. You know, yeah. if at that point, you know, you hear about it, you don't do something about it. There's no big mass movement. There's no huge outcry. I mean, if I had to choose between the government can kill me anytime it wants or the government can monitor my internet connection, it kind of picked the internet connection one, to be honest. But apparently everyone else has said, no, 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 no internet censorship, but it's okay if you kill us. That's because you're protecting us. Because you're protecting us. And so By people deserve. Us. You know, they're getting this whole idea that, oh, people are so innocent, they, they didn't know any better. It's like, yeah, you did. I'm just you totally knew better. Everyone knows better. Yeah. Every American citizen knows better than to accept Congress legalizing the murder of the America. murder of American citizens. But you the, know better. But they've been a lot of them have been too traumatized or put into this state, state of kind of. They, they've no been excuse. warned about it. They've, they've been warned. They've been warned since since the 1700s. They've been warned by all of the founding fathers who wrote about this. Don't do this. I mean, in uh, what happened when James which James the second, right? Um, when they kicked him out, I quoted this in my article, they kicked him out and, and repealing his laws, and one of them was that he was um, uh, that he was looking, he was trying to get this right as well, or something like that, that he could just basically kill anybody, as long as they weren't Protestant or something like that, that he had this rule that he could just kill anybody who was Catholic or something, and they specifically mentioned all of the powers that he was trying to seize. So, like, you have this situation where it's like, they've done this before, and it led to things like the Constitution, it led to things like the American Revolution, and all of these you know, founding father writers basically said, you can't do any of these, this is why there's the Bill of Rights, uh, you know, no, no, no uh, preventing per a person from having, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of life, liberty, uh, whatever, yeah. you know, life, liberty, and property due without due process of law. It was written there because people had done it in the past. Now they're doing it again, they're not doing anything about it, and then when you get killed, you know, you don't have anyone to blame but yourself. Yeah, and they've been you know? systematically stripping away uh, the Constitution, the, the, the liberties in the Constitution over the past 10, 15 years. And this years. is exactly where everybody said it was going to go. For the last 10, 15 years, we've been saying it. Other libertarians have been saying it. Everybody's been saying, 
if you give up this right, eventually they will start, it will be like Nazi Germany. Everyone's like, oh, everyone always brings up Nazi Germany, all over. Yeah. And now, it's like Nazi Germany. And it's like, oh, Jesus. First they came for the Jews, you know, that, yeah. that poem. Yeah, that, that first. No, no, they didn't come for the Jews oh, first. They came, they, they came for the, com- uh, they came for the Unionists, and then the Communists, and then the Socialists, and then the Jews, and the Gypsies, and the Poles, and everything else. And then when it came for me, there was nobody no, to speak right. up. Okay, so I'm just going to finish Michael's questions here um, or his comments. He says, why can't, why can't the universe just allow us to live our collective free will, in quotes, and leave us to our totally repulsive antics and see where it all takes us? He says, although I tender the thought that the results would be no better than a severe rush of comments. Right, well, he, okay. Right there, he I have something serious to say. I have something serious to say on this, right? Because it does kind of come from a really, really messed up thing. Like, I'm going to pretend for a moment that I'm God. Now, this is totally not an ego thing. Okay? <laughs> totally not an ego thing. It never I'm is. I'm going to pretend for a moment that. that I'm God. And that I'm creating the entire... I'm a creationist. Other people aren't. That's okay. You don't believe that, whatever. I'm going to pretend for a moment that I'm God and I'm creating the universe. Right? I am not creating the universe for you to play Angry Birds all day and, you know, spend all your time on Facebook playing Farmville. That's not why I created the universe. And you know what? As the creator of the universe, I have the right to smite you when all you do is sit and wank off in front of your computer, play Farmville all day, you know? And, I mean, seriously, people are like, why, why can't the universe just leave us alone? It was like, well, you know what? It's, it's my universe. Okay, Shit, well, dude. Well, my, live in it. well, Michael's all, Lord has spoken. Michael's just obviously expressing some kind of, you know... Probably a pretty common He's got thought. some existential angst, angst going, going on, on there. Yeah, yeah. But then he, he, he grasps at something. Uh, he mentions that in your, in Laura's 2011 Barcelona talk, when you were in Barcelona, and that's on YouTube for anybody who wants to wants to watch it, uh, it that it seemed geared to, what you what you said at that conference, was seemed geared to an understanding that our collective DNA is designed to overcome, in some way, catastrophe. And No, 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 that's not what I was saying. What oh. I was saying was, that those people who have the capacity to see the truth, to act based on that truth, can possibly, through the acquiring, through the acquisition of knowledge, activate certain DNA in their bodies that would enable them to be able to perceive and act according to the dictates of the universe and thereby survive. Okay. It was nothing about anybody... You know, sitting back and you know playing Farmville while their DNA activates. Believe me, yeah. Farmville ain't gonna do it. It's gonna do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then, the final question is: And should we store acorns, pack our guns, accumulate cans of Campbell's soup, learn how to pray, no. revive or revitalize our hybrid skills? Well, I can skills? guarantee you, if you do any of those things, your DNA will definitely not activate. <laughs> and he basically answers the last question, which is: Are there any actual useful things to do other than just acquire a clear understanding of the situation we are in? No. Once you have a clear understanding, then you know what to do. Well, he says, I tend to think that material survivalist preparation is not going to help a lot. In some cases it will help, in some cases it won't. It depends on the context in which you're doing it. It depends reason you're on doing the context in which you're doing it. It depends on why you're doing it. It depends on, uh, you know, a whole lot of things. It depends on what you see, you know, what you understand, how much knowledge you have. Because if you have... Let me just say this. When you achieve a certain level of knowledge, it's like an entire phase transition in the system. You know, you become a different being. And that's the truth. 
Mm-hmm. And you have to. The problem is, is when you say something like that, the first thing that comes to a new ager's mind is, oh, I'm going to be floating on light with beings. Well, this is not the aura. This is not what is meant by that. It's so easy no. to get that out of control. I mean, the thing is, is like when you're a child, right? You have an understanding of the world. It's very, very restricted and small in a certain sense. And people, all the children are all wonderful, but children are very ignorant. You know, children are not innocent; they're ignorant. And we think that their ignorance is cute and we call it innocent. But at a certain point, you come of age and there's a point in your life where you stop being a child and start being an adult and you see the world completely different. At that point, you have become a completely different person. You no longer see the world the way it was. You have changed. You have become able to do things that you weren't able to do before and to work in ways that you weren't able to work before and think and feel and control your emotions in ways that you weren't be able to do before. And so it's not unreasonable to say that there is also other points that you can reach. I mean, say, for instance, uh, a person who goes through an entire course of physics goes through a kind of phase transition where suddenly they have a different understanding of the world, correct or incorrect, doesn't matter. They see the world differently than a bricklayer. And so that's kind of like what we're saying. I just wanted to yeah. qualify that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Before we got, people start thinking that we're going to like grow wings or okay. something, it's like, no. It's we may have another call here. Hang on. Hello, Hi, Hello, Laura. This is Mary from Arizona. Hi, Hi Mary. Mary. Long time. It has <laughs> been a long time. And I miss you guys, and I'm so grateful you're doing this. But I wanted to just chime in. Speaking about um, adding knowledge, I have been doing that so much. And one of the biggest sacred cows there is, is this Constitution. I have learned that it is a private contract and it was never meant for the people. And that's why the people and the posterity were capitalized. It's that's why they demanded to... the Bill of Rights because they wouldn't accept the Constitution. They knew what it was, that it, it, it gave them no rights. If you ever read the Constitution, that, and the gun show, I want to do it because I highlighted portions of the Constitution is not a document for the people. It doesn't even mention the people pretty much at all. It doesn't mention anyone's rights. It's all about what the government can do. In fact, and there's, a, there's actually one part of the Constitution, I don't have it word for word, where it basically says that after the point that you've ratified the Constitution, we can essentially change the law in any way we want, and that will become the law of the land regardless of what you say. It actually like says that in the Constitution. It says, once you've signed this document, we can change anything, and that is the new law. Yeah, so, yeah, that's Article 6, Section 6. And yeah, the like Supreme Law of the Land will be the, the Constitution and any treaties made thereof. And it goes back to the Law of Nations and it re- references that. And along with the Constitution and understanding what's happening in the world today is understanding the elements of ecclesiastical law. In that, the Pope is guaranteed to be the... <clears throat> enforcer of the laws and that he has the right to punish or dismantle any government that he seems so fit. And that, Laura, has helped me understand so much of why the U.S. then became the enforcer for the United Nations. And everything they're doing is according to their codes and their laws. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So, I mean, there the only been way out of this. Go ahead. There is no yeah. way out of this. There's no and way out. Is that what you're saying? 
I, I say there is, and it's through the treaties that were signed under the international law of self-determination. <coughs> that And it's like this. And it says this for silent weapons and quiet wars, um, that in order to get out from this, because everybody wants to recreate the womb of the government and mama religion, that the only way out is to form your own. It's like telling your parents, hey, I don't like your rules anymore. But there is a, a codified way in which to do this. And it's right there in the law of nations. Yeah, but the problem is, I totally agree. I mean, that's like, that, that is an actual solution to the problem, right? But here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like, in, in the American Civil War, right, you had a bunch of people who basically seceded, right? They basically said, you know what, screw you, we're going to do our own thing, and we'll become our own type of thing, right? And Or like you have Palestine that did the kind of like the same self-determination thing. And what did they do? They spent like, you know, 60 years basically like bombing them randomly, and they still haven't actually really become a state. They've only kind of like tentatively become one, you know? So it is like possible, obviously, but you need so many people to come together and agree to do it, Right. And then you and then you run the risk of all of those people being blasted back to the Stone Age by the ones with the bigger guns. Right. So that's what happened in the Civil War, right? The South seceded. I mean, everyone says that it's about slavery. It wasn't exactly about slavery. It was about whether or not you could nullify laws from, from the Union. But um, And they basically, you know, killed them. You know, so, so that they lost. I mean, the American Civil War is only called a Civil War because the South lost. If it had won, it would have been called a revolution, right? It would, just would have been called something different. The, the, the victors decided to say, no, it's a civil war. We handled that problem. So, I mean, I totally agree, right? But then at the same time, what you have in America is you have this divide-and-conquer propaganda going on that is separating everybody because, to be quite honest, what you're saying probably would have already happened if that hadn't been this constant effort to get people to not trust each other, to, you know, I'm a Mac user, I'm a PC user. I mean, in every part of your life, you're separated from other people. And if people yeah. can come together, they could do self-determination. That totally could absolutely work. Except you have this, you have to get people to realize that there is this propaganda campaign of this divine comfort to keep people from doing that. Because if you think about it, I was, I was making a point, to, I was talking to Anna and, and she and they're doing a lot of research on this whole, the poverty thing. And there's a huge number of people in America in like practically abject poverty. I mean, yeah. millions, millions, there's more people in abject poverty than died in, like, World War II, right? I mean, in, in close to really bad situations, no health care, no anything, most of them living out on the street. And if all of those people were to gather together in just one physical location, it wouldn't matter where, they would be the most terrifying group of individuals. I mean, 50 million people, there's like 50 million impoverished people in the United States. Yeah. 50 million people in one geographic location, and all they have to do is take a step to the right, and it would be like thunder. I mean, if they were to walk down a highway towards Washington, they would. They didn't. They, they, America doesn't have enough of an army, and they don't have enough bullets in their guns to take on 50 million people. So yeah, totally, what you're saying could happen, except it never will. Because you know, there's plenty of people, and there's plenty of people who could and should do that. But they're divided. But and they're divided against themselves. Yeah. They're divided and conquered. What What do you think of that, um, Mary? Well. I, I, I see where he's going, but it has to start somewhere, and it has to start in an organic fashion. So if small groups are coming out together and those groups are cohesive, then there would be a counterbalance, and it would right. be signaling to the universe in a candid and direct manner. 
so like, okay, take for instance, here's a great, here's a great metaphor for that whole situation, right? If you get sick, the doctor will prescribe you antibiotics, right? And these antibiotics are kind of hardcore stuff, and you have to take them for a certain amount of time. And if you don't, it can actually make the disease worse, right? Because a little bit of the antibiotic will weaken your body and your immune system unless you keep taking it so that it can kill off all of the, the bad you know, viral cells as well, then they will reinfect and your, your immune system is so weak that it will take it over, right? So then you have this sort of problem. If you do what has been done, which is these small groups of people, 1,000 people, 10,000 people, this Occupy Wall Street movement, what they did is they all got together and they said, hey, yeah, we're 10,000. 10,000 people isn't enough. If you can't bring more than were brought for the Million Man March back in the 60s, then you're just, you're just wasting your time and you're actually making it worse because now what you have is you have a police that have had lots of training exercises and real-life exercises on how to suppress and control small groupings of people, right? So all you're basically going to do is get herded into one area and arrested. I mean, they were like arresting 800 people at a time. I mean, seriously, if you don't come out and represent like a serious number of people, you're going to make, just like taking a small dose of antibiotics, you're going to actually make the situation worse. You're going to make it easier for them to corral you all together. You have to basically be an unmanageable mass. And I always say if it took a million people in the 60s, all right, you have to add a million for each year between now and then. So um, if you want to get anything done, guess what? You're going to have to have like you know, 50 million, 50 million people <clears throat> doing something to, to get heard because otherwise they're not going to listen to you. You're, you're basically going to be you know, cordoned off into one specific area and the single moment that they think that you're gathering momentum like the Occupy movement, they're going to go in and arrest as many of you as possible, shoot in the tear gas, whatever it is, and disperse you and say like, oh, well, you were violating some law. And then what are they going to do? Exactly what they did do. Now they've declared protests and gathering, which is supposed to be a constitutional right, as low-level terrorism. Well, that's, that's, that's what came from the Occupy be, Wall Street. I, I would have to disagree because you would be in a different legal category and they wouldn't be able to arrest you. You would basically be having legal immunities and there are codes so and I have seen it with other people. And this, this goes way beyond the Patriot type of crap BS that are that's being What insulted. are you talking about specifically? I, I wanna know I wanna hear <coughs> what are you uh, you have seen something, what have you seen and what have they done? I've I've seen people pulled over by the police who have shown their passports with the diplomatic passport from this other country that was developed, I mean, that was went through the proper legal channels, and I have seen the policemen not go back to the car and check. I have seen the policemen do 180 degrees, apologize to the person for even pulling them over and let them go on their way. Okay, what, country, what country that, is this? That can, that can work, but, I mean, sure, that works for if a person does that, but the problem here is getting a large number of people to do that. How do you spread the... Why don't you write an article about it? Yeah, I mean, I like we'll this idea. It. I like this idea. I mean, what countries have been created recently by this method? Well, they're called micronations, and there's been quite a few of them to come out. Really? This is an idea. Yeah. I, w I want to start and my own. I like and write an article for this because this is this is super awesome. I mean, if that works, then I'm totally I'm 100% signed up. 
The United States adjacent. <laughs> I, call, I call it the United States. <laughs> yes, and, and there is one key that fits the door, like in the Matrix series. The key maker had one key before the system changed. And this is the key that was left in the codes for the the international right of self-determination, and which used to be called the right of self-exile. Mm-hmm. That sounds interesting. I'll, I'm going yeah, to do some research. Send, send us yes. some links. I certainly will, Laura, and it's so wonderful to hear you in real time. Thank you for putting this uh, blog talk radio program together. Well, it wasn't me that did it now. Let's give credit where it's due. It's Joe and Neely Bob. Wow, whatever. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, so. I just I just come in here to to make sure that they that, that they don't uh that we know, don't make any mistakes. <clears throat> well, that's not what I was going to say. <laughs> that'll, that'll do as an explanation though. Thanks for calling to Mary. Thanks, Mary. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Keep Arizona safe. Bye bye. Yeah. So I think we are at the end of our time for tonight. We are? Yeah, time served. You think we served the time? Well, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we didn't cover, but... Um, there's always next week. Well, the main the main topic was this impact, ablation, explosion, whatever you want to call it, of a space rock over Russia. And... Um, what evidence? What evidence? What explosion? Nice explosion or space travel? Ablation is such a good word, though, isn't it? I mean, it? it just it sounds like more of this the threshold. I'm going off to ablate. Kind of like <laughs> we need to optimize transparency to make sure that we don't pass the threshold. I mean, I would just you know say, for instance, you need to be able to to see what we're doing so that we don't go and kill too many people. <laughs> well, yeah. So, but anyway, I suppose we could have got you to hold forth on the whole historical. Evidence for, uh, for this kind of event happening before. It's but too late. You had to talk about your your Brennan and his, that was and like his ten. Senate, that was ten and minutes. His Senate hearings, and you took up all the time that doing was like that. Ten minutes. Yeah. And um, but anyway, as I, as, as I was going to say, it's all in the book, so people should just simply, uh, if they want to understand the historical context for the kind of thing that has happened uh, recently over Russia, then they need to get a copy of Laura's book. Comments on the Horns of Moses, which is available on Amazon, all of all Amazon websites. I have a feeling this is going to be a hot topic for some time to come, so we'll be returning to this. I'm going to bet that they're going to bury it. They'll try. They're going to bury it. Yeah. People are going to forget about it, and then it's going to happen again, and it's going to be bigger the next time. And because, there'll be casualties because, next because time. Because all the yeah. people who talk about it aren't publishing in peer-reviewed journals. That's my prediction. That's and the truth. Oh yeah, peer-reviewed journals. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah, it's, wow. like, it's like you know, the sky is falling. Well, Chicken Little, did you publish that in a peer-reviewed journal? It's like, what's that? No. Oh crap. You know, I mean, seriously. I mean, I mean, who? I, I don't want to make fun of the guy, but in a certain sense, I have to say that 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 argument is ridiculous. You know, if you say, if you say. You know, I I bet he wouldn't have that argument. You know, with the whole you know people are getting shot and there's this rise in crime. He's like, well, you know, you can't you can't say that. It's a, it's a trend. You see, you don't know if it's going to go up. That's like the stock market. It's like that they're making laws and all this stuff and people panicking. And it's like, why don't they have that same opinion there? It's it's like a business. You don't want to believe something. You find some retarded argument. You know, um, what's that argument? Or what is that? Thing? I can't remember who wrote it. Did people always 
insist for historical, the, it's Airmen, Bart Airmen. People always insist for more evidence than can possibly exist for an idea so that they can discredit it something. We're going to have to continue this discussion offline because I've just heard the outro music that has signaled the end of this week's show. Uh, I'd just like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening and for the callers for your uh, questions, comments, comments. 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 <laughs> well, comments uh, about comments. And um, we'll be back next week, next Sunday. So thank you, Laura Hopefully. and Jason. Hopefully, if we don't get ablated. <laughs> so, uh, if, we, if we don't pass the threshold, then suddenly, you know, burning comes in and fills up all. You know? Exactly, yeah. Okay, so, now that's another kind of ablation. So we're going to call it a night, and uh, we'll see you all, or rather, hear you all. You'll hear us next next Sunday night again. Good night.